Hey, podcast listeners, this is quite a special one today, of course, because Dave Davies of The Kinks is our guest. He's got a brand new album called Decade, and it's a bunch of tracks that he recorded mostly sort of as demos in the 1970s, the decade of the 1970s, hence the album name. And then they sort of sat on the shelf as he was busy with The Kinks and uh, his brother Ray's songs and projects. And uh, so... I was happy to get the opportunity to talk to him. We did it in person, and uh, there were some rules. He could only spend a certain amount of time. We ended up doing uh, going way over that amount of time, but in the end, they, they did sort of give me the sign, and he had to go. So I didn't tr- sort of get to all the questions, and it's a very sort of free-flowing interview. I think it works. He's very funny in person, and... Uh, I'm sorry that you couldn't be there and see it because there's a lot of laughing and smiling and a lot of visual parts of it which just don't work on the radio. But it was great. Uh, Ray Ketchum at Magic Door Studios in Montclair recorded this, Montclair, New Jersey, uh, as the WFMU studio still g- undergoing uh, construction and stuff. But a good vibe right away. As soon as he walked in, I got a good vibe from him. Um, and despite getting the wrap it up signal, I thought it went really well and... Uh, his guitar never quite got in tune. He, you'll hear, he just got the guitar. Uh, so forgive us for that. He did try to tune it a few times. He just never quite quite got there. And you'll hear that I don't really say too much. But I didn't really have to. He had lots of stories to tell. So he, one of the rules was that he would only play one song. You'll hear him play bits of many, many songs here, which was just a total delight. Uh, some great stuff coming up. Check WFMU.org slash Michael for the archive. And one warning here, there is a single curse word in this uh, interview. If you want to hear the uncursed version, head over to WFMU.org slash Michael and listen to what we aired. The archived version is uh, curse-free. If not... Stay tuned. Here's just about one whole hour of me and Dave Davies of the Kinks. Thanks so much. You got me so I can't sleep at night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you really got me now. Got me so I don't know what I'm doing. Oh yeah! <laughs> it's a beautiful guitar too. Oh, is that new? Yeah, Gibson gave it to me yesterday, <laughs> so it's fresh off the block. So how lovely! They just give you guitars. Is that just how it works? When, when yeah, they sponsor. You know, they give me stuff if I need it. And uh, that's very kind of him. That's very kind, yeah. Uh, Dave Davies is our guest today, and there's a brand new Dave Davies album called Decade, which is a collection of unreleased solo stuff recorded during the decade of the 1970s. And I read that the songs had sort of been nagging you. You had wanted them out. That's a long time for them to sort of sit around in the can. Why now? Why release them now? Yeah, I I know. It's funny, because during the 70s, um, we had so much work on, and Ray was very eager to do these new ideas he had so so popular and the, the preservation albums and so in between stuff we had at the beginning of the 70s um i helped put conk studios together which is our own studios 
and I was very very eager to get into sound and compressors and EQ and all the gadgets, you know. And it gave me an opportunity to learn how to use all the equipment. So I loved that. I used to go in and, and rehearse virtually on my own or write. I used to go in and record these tunes I'd write and in the 70s, and then I'd put them on the shelf saying, oh, maybe... A, and then something else would happen, another project would come up, a Kinks project would come up, and um, then um, I, I'd, then we'd break and I'd go back and get a drummer together and bass player and work on these so-called demos. And I, we kept them, they were hanging around for years. and and uh, Yeah, I, I read that your sons sort of had to find the actual tapes underneath beds and things? I don't know if that's, a, like, a exaggeration, but... No, it's not. No, uh, Simon and Martin, my two eldest sons, kind of collated or, or drew together all these, these tapes and ideas, and uh, we sat down and listened to them when they were in a, a more rough state. And I said, I can't, can't, I can't do this. It's too emotional. I'm going back... All those songs and, and a lot of mostly they're very personal songs, you know, which they should be, you know. It's how that's what art's good for. It's getting out all this stuff, and um, and I said to the guys, I said, I I, I don't think I could produce it. It's too close. And Simon said, let me have a go, I'll have a listen and see what we can do. And and I think Simon did, did it great job marrying up the original 70s sounds with um, modern technology and I think you married those two elements really well. Yeah, I think the record sounds great. And welcome in I know what our fate will be Remember the time when you fell in the lake I dragged you out How funny it seemed to think on it now God bless my folks For their birthday cards And I forgot the lyrics <laughs> That's part of one of the songs Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, I want to go back just for a minute Let's talk about your family You are the youngest of eight kids, right? So. Right. So usually the way it works is you are absorbing a lot of your other older siblings' music. Is that how it works? Oh, that's spot on. <laughs> exactly what happens. But I think uh, Ray and I were very fortunate. Two boys at the end, six girls, and uh, then there was Ray and me. And, um, and there was music, always music in our house, whether it was Perry Comer or or um, Eddie Cochran or Fats Domino was a big favourite with my sisters because it's very boppy, you know, it's very danceable. And I loved his voice. And that New Orleans kind of flavour oh, yeah. to the music. You know, we didn't have really have anything like that in England. And um, it really set fire to, sets fire to the spirit. That kind of vibe, you know. So I love that. Someone, I, well, I loved everything. 
if it was music, I wanted to hear it, you know. Huh. And uh, the girls, my sisters, were very nurturing and and very, you know, encouraged me and Ray to play guitars. And of course, me and Ray were big Everly Brothers fans. I could not be with those, those voices. Yeah. And luckily, Ray and I got different different ranges of voices. And um, they kind of, when we would sing, just mucking about and messing about, they kind of would, two voices would slot in together. Did you realise how special that was then? Or did no, you, it was you just, just think, oh, it works. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was very much, it very, kind of, I suppose, but I, I like how folk music starts, you know, when, that's why years later when, I came across Johnny Cash, and he was phenomenal. Ugh. I mean, all the way through his career, he was phenomenal. And that voice, and he didn't really have vibrato much. It's just that incredible sound that came out of him. And the songs were kind of sad, reminiscent, thoughtful songs, and funny. Yeah. You know, um... What's that song? Give my love to Rose. Oh, please, won't you, mister? Oh, God. Guitar's out of tune and my voice is in the wrong key. I can't sing like Johnny can. I'm running bad railroad tracks this morning. I could see that he was nearly dead. I knelt down beside him. As I listened to his dying voice, and this is what he said Give my love to Rose, please won't you miss her? I give you all my money till I buy some pretty clothes. Tell my son that daddy's so proud of him. But most of all, keep my love to Rose. And I loved all those Cash, Johnny Cash records. They're sad, poignant, and funny. You know, that really inspired me, Johnny Cash. It's really very American, you know. I think Johnny Cash is so <laughs> yeah, so unBritish to me. I mean, you know, I think of Lonnie Donegan or somebody. As, yeah, but he was a big. Big influence, Lonnie Dungan. Yeah, well, so... I mean, it's a thing of three nose. <laughs> There's no U.S. equivalent to Skiffle. I mean, it just didn't happen here at all. Zero. How huge was it for you guys? It was big because when we were growing up, I guess there was obviously all the great 50s American music. There was always American music that we... <gasps> You know, made to set up the way they recorded it, but it was that accent. And also, I, have, I found out years later that the Amer Americans use there's a muscle above the lip, and uh, Americans use it more. Yeah, when you you talk like that, and you, this muscle gets, yeah. you know, grows or. What's up? Or strengthens, so you know it's kind of sounds cool as well. <laughs> and uh, 
And I, I found it a lot easier to sing with an American accent, especially I wanted to be Eddie Cochran and Johnny Cash and Paddy Holly and all these people, all these great, great, great singers. And, of course, Elvis had an incredible voice. Oh, yeah. I mean, he could have been, you know, Mario Lanza or, <laughs> you know... Uh, I think people forget how great a singer he was because he's so charismatic. You forget... It oh, takes over. He's talented, The personality yes. took over. <laughs> yeah, it really did. But if you strip it down... Oh, he, that's has, a, oh, he has the goods, yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, you're talking about Lonnie Donegan. He was a big influence because uh, growing up, there was what we called Dixieland. There was a lot of jazz bands trad jazz trad yeah yeah trad jazz and but it was all derivative of dixieland and uh lonnie donegan was a banjo player with this really popular dixieland band and then he'd sing a few songs and then he later became a star in his own right and he had this I can't mimic him but he had had this great way of singing through his nails And Rock Island Line is a mighty good line. A Rock Island Line road to ride. You know, and I loved it. We fell in love with this guy. Was he somebody who kids only liked or parents and kids liked him? It was both, really. I think the kids liked it because it was so new. Because uh, Ronnie Donegan introduced English people to um, great American blues, uh, Lead Belly. Right. Sometimes I live in the country Sometimes I live in the town Good night, Irene Good night, Irene I'll see you in my dream So he he borrowed a lot of ideas from black blues singers Labelly and the arrangements he had he turned them into more Skiffily, jumpy, yeah, things that English people could relate more to, like folk music. It turned them into folk songs, and skiffle was a big thing growing up. And everybody wanted to be in a skiffle band because it was easy. You know, you had those a string bass, yeah, actual string, right? Yeah, you get tea chest. You know what a tea chest is? It's a box. Box. Boston Tea Party, <laughs> the tea chest. It's a big box, about that high, about like that. And if you put a, a, a string to it and thump it, it's just a piece of regular string, it <laughs> make a, a boomy bass sound. So that became that became very popular. So when did you first get guitar in your hands? I can't remember, but I used to... I learnt three chords and I thought I knew it all. <laughs> you sort of do. C, <laughs> F, G. There you go. So uh, <laughs> you were, I don't know, eight, nine, ten? Somewhere. No. Uh, oh, yeah, I was about ten when I picked up guitar. But of course, Ray started before I did. And Ray was really good at picking and he, he gravitated more towards. People like Segovia. Oh. You know, <laughs> but he was good at picking. and uh, But I wanted to get... I wanted to be Eddie Cochran, so, you know, summertime blues and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Did the two of you start figuring out songs that, that 
you know, like Eddie Cochran songs at that young well, age? Well, yeah, not, but it was kind of like people like Johnny and the Hurricanes. I don't know if you remember. And the Ventures. They were our favourite chords, A minor, G, F. And um, Walk Don't Run was an amazing record. And the sound that the Ventures got were incredible and um, I really like the rhythm guitar player and I'm sorry I can't think of his name Don but he kind of played down the, the bottom of the guitar here rather than the full yeah he's very very so, solid yeah, that guy. yeah very yeah. rhythmical very yeah, yeah. on it you know and I I, I, th- I think I learned a lot listening to that rhythm guitar so it formed the basis of a lot of the bar chords that I later started playing. And um, being of influence, Ventures, Johnny on the Hurricanes, the cha- Champs, the Tequila. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I can't remember what keys it is. That's one of the greatest yeah. records. Oh, it's ever great. Made, it's a party yeah. record. Yeah, yeah. So Saturday night, we put tequila on, and everybody would be dancing and wiggling their hips, <laughs> and my sisters loved it. So, See, do you remember the first time that Ray had a, wrote a song and said, I want you to work up this with me? I mean, do you remember sitting down and figuring no, that No, Ray was a really good, is a really good mimic still. And, um, but in those days, he was even better. Like, he could really mimic Buddy Holly. Oh. It's so easy. It's so easy to... I can't even remember. How'd it go? It's so easy to fall in love. It's so easy to fall in love. I should love the, the break. It's so, it's so easy. Yeah, so it's not easy. And then when I heard this, which formed the basis of everything we liked, that kind of, even, of course, Chuck Berry, that was a standard thing. So that was part of the course, that, that riffy kind of background rhythm. That thing, so the kinks are just Buddy Holly with the ripped up speaker. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, we all got to start somewhere. So it it started with mimicking these songs and kind of morphed into uh, let's write our own songs. I mean, did that? Well, seem it like... comes by accident, you know. It's like you know, I started writing first, oh, really, and then we kind of copied each other a bit, and and then Ray started to get into writing and. Uh, did you guys know that your own songs were good right away? Or? No, you don't really, do you? <laughs> Did your sisters say, this is great? Oh, yeah, that, you, you need encouragement, you know. It's, yeah. You know, when you're trying to do anything, it's good to have encouragement. And uh, and then you think you're better than you, and it gives you confidence to move, move ahead. But then, of course, Chuck Berry came along, and he was a big, big influence, and... Um, as all the, these American records, the sound of them, sonically, the way they recorded them, was very different to what they did in, in um, English 
studios. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you guys were working on something where you thought this is something other folks might want to hear, you know, or might be on the radio? Well, it, I don't know really. We kind of borrowed and copied a lot. I loved Sleepy John Estes because me and Pete Quaife, who was one of the original Kinks members, bass player, we used to hang out a lot in the West End, but like the centre of London, you know. And we found this record store called um, Doughbells, and they had all these jazz rock, weird and wonderful jazz and blues rockers that you couldn't get anywhere else. And I discovered people like John Lee Hooker and and Howling Wolf and all these, and John uh, Sleepy John Estes. And I came across this track called Milk Car Blues, which was really down home. Um, I can't remember it at the moment, but then I heard Elvis did a version of it. And I thought, this is great. We should, you know, uh, work up a version of it. And we started to play in local halls, and uh, me, Pete, and Murray. And um, we we used to do everything from Skiffle to Milk Car Blues. It was one of our favourite tracks. And it gradually turns into a, a set, you know. And um, and uh, I was other record I love my sister sister Peg loved it. You can can dance okay you can dance you can dance with the guy who gives you the eye who holds you tight But you know save the last dance for me but you taking your home and in whose arms you gonna be so darling Save the last dance for me. So we were getting more into tune, songs that were more tuneful, which Benny King was great. And, uh, and was that Drifters that did that? Or was Drifters? I think so, yeah. Do you still have the physical records you bought no. back then? No. All I have left is this pick. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I own. No. Uh, <laughs> so eventually, I believe Shell Talmy comes into the picture, right? Is he sort of the link to turning you guys? Well, the thing is that Shell was American, is American, and he grew up with the, the school of kind of Phil Spector. Although we loved those records, those Phil Spector records, they weren't us, you know, we were more um, you know in front front room kind of band and he's put all the we did a version of you really got me with all this echo you know it's like show thing like show like phil specter was a big influence ah. on show and uh, but the first version of it was, was uh, horrible and then we had to do it again and we did it in small studio our managers gave us 200 pounds to re-record it and we did it dry with just room up not much smaller smaller than this about this size and uh, luckily they captured my raucous guitar sound which no nobody well engineers really didn't want to record (laughs) 
because it was whiny and loud. And... They're taught to uh, avoid that. Uh, by, you know, they, they go to great lengths to avoid Yeah, it. they're trying to get rid of noise. Yes, exactly. And I want more noise. <laughs> so it was like a bit of a battle. Let's talk about the guitar solo on and You Really Got Me. It is I didn't a... know what I was doing. Like, I thought I was in G, right? I knew a few notes. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful you thing, you know. It's a, and it's so unlike any anything else that was happening. You know, there was no one, there was nothing. There was no other guitar that, solos. That sound, guitar sound. It's so exciting, and it just jumps off that record. Uh, did anyone try to talk you out of that? A few engineers did. Oh, you, we can't really recall that sort of sound. <laughs> Why not? But was Ray and, and Pete and Mick, were they jumping up and down? Going, oh, no, they were all on board. Ray was really on board with it because his, his, his song, his riff, is kind of like a, a, a jazz riff. Huh. Well, just a modulation or move up to a key. And, um, and it was his song, so he was... Want me to get it done, you know. Don't worry about noise, you know. So the guitar solo is it one take? Is it a million? It's takes? one take. It's one take. Because you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just <laughs> glad that my fingers la- landed somewhere <laughs> that was okay. Oh, there's like too many notes. Yeah, in in, yeah. in the wonderful way. So is that whole record? Are there overdubs on those those that era of? I pinks? think the the only overdubs we did were vocals. Huh. That would, that would make sense. I think it was four track, and we had rhythm section across. No, it was mono. I was going to say across stereo mix, and uh, it was all very basic stuff. But but that guitar sound I got, the technicians either loved it or hated it. Mostly hated it because <laughs> it wasn't proper. You see. Wasn't a proper way to do it. Oh, but when you listen to a lot of these, and we were talking about, I can't remember if it's a drift at all. They did, I'm a hug for you, baby. Who did that? Who did that record? If you listen to it now, if you play it, you can hear like a sibilant kind of valvy, distortion y thing in there. So the Americans were using it in a very subtle way. But um, that's why those a lot of those American records grabbed us because it had this other elements going on in the background. The vocals were kind of distorted, so I kind of wanted to get a distorted guitar on me, me, me amp on me guitar and me amp, and the only way I could do it in the end was just cut the, the cone with my little amp. The razor blade. Yeah, I wouldn't have known to to try that. Well, I, you were at wit's end. So try it. What, you know, what can happen? Nearly got electric. Threw me on the floor. And so when the record came out and people, other guitar players, heard that solo, did people come and bow down to you? They thought it was crazy, <laughs> but, but I was a bit of a crazy kid. And, right. And, we should point out that. How old were you when you when you recorded that? Fifteen. Yeah, I mean, sixteen. A, a mere child. Yeah. I mean, a kid, a real freckle-faced little boy, yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've done about freckles, <laughs> but a few spots. <laughs> you mentioned Pete Quave earlier. Let's talk about when 
you or Ray would bring a song in, what did the other guys in the band bring to that? I, I love to, to, I mean, you're the only people who can tell us about what well, Pete's contribution Pete was. Pete was um, wonderful because he would inspire you. He would kind of give you confidence and, and like, uh, years later when we talked about what happened, you know, in those days, Pete was always... He trusted what I, that what I was doing was okay or working, and I did the same for him. And that mutual trust really helped the Kinks. I think we thought, you know, we were invincible, mm. which you know you need the feelings to to do a lot, everything really in life. You need confidence, and when you're in a group and band, you support each other. So that emotional thing was a really big thing would be oh go on do it it might be good you know try that uh, try that especially when you're 14 yeah and yeah. I know sort of the flip side of the coin is Mick Avery who you are famous for oh no well Mick was, was great he wasn't really in the band at the very very outset and we auditioned a few drummers and we got an okay but we didn't use Mick on the first couple of records is it Bobby Graham on the Bobby first? Graham yeah. was on it who it was amazing. I remember me. him saying, because the engineers nowadays, we used to recording, you know, proper singers <laughs> and, um, and uh, orchestras and you know, arrangements and you know, this and the other. And he didn't really know how to record, let alone my guitar sound, but bass and drums. They seemed to do it badly. Americans had a better hooker on recording bass and drums and, um, than they did in England. And, uh, like, um, Bobby Graham said to me, you know, um, he was loud. He said, the only way to get heard is kicked the shit out of the drums, the bass drum. You know, not, you know, records before that in England, you couldn't really hear the bass drum. But everything Bobby... Graham played when you could hear. Uh, that, <laughs> that's very interesting. That makes, of course, perfect sense. I want to remind folks that Dave Davies is our guest. Is that how you say your last name? Dave Davies, yes. Okay, good. Thank you. DaveDavies.com uh, is the spot to go for information about the new record called Decade. And I want to point out that tonight you are playing at the Count Basie Center for the Arts in Red Bank, and you're going to be in Westbury and Cleveland and Indiana and Illinois coming up and uh, some uh, some shows around... Uh, Chicago. I'm playing in Chicago at the City Winery. Right. Lapland. People are so cool. So early 1960s, such an interesting time because the baby boomers, kids like you, were now taking over. Like there was, like you said, there was proper music, and then all of a sudden these kids started to go crazy, and this new culture was exploding. Did again? Did you feel that, or were you just sort of in the eye of the hurricane? You're and, just in, in the middle of it. Yeah. You're doing it, and it's like, a, um, it's funny. Someone said to me many, many years later that, um, and it's a weird thing really, that the coolest part of the candle, in the candle flame, is in the centre. And I thought, that's curious, because when you're in the mi middle of something, it always seems more comfortable, you know, what you seem to feel like you know what you're doing. 
Yeah, when you're on the outside, you're, I don't want to go in near there because <laughs> it's hot. But it's just as everyday business for you. Just, it's just yeah, it's like the um, it's very interesting. So what was the busy? I mean, so you really got me number one hit record. So what was the busiest time around? You know, in that early five first few years of the Kings, what was the busiest time between you know being on television and being on radio sessions and touring? And yeah, I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty full on. You know, because the managers and the record company want their bucks. You yeah, know, yeah. Turn it around and keep going. And you're just kids, so you couldn't really say no, I assume. Well, yeah, but also it's great fun <laughs> until you got totally exhausted. Yeah. I remember we used to, there was this club circuit in Birmingham. Not Alabama. It was a <laughs> Birmingham. 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 It's a good accent. <laughs> And it goes up at the end. We had to do two shows, and then one club would be in the south of Birmingham. You play for an hour or so, you pack your gear up, and you drive somewhere right the other side of Birmingham. And Birmingham's quite big, so you drive over there and do another gig, and you're starting to feel really exhausted. I remember we did the, these. Um, doubles or these two shows a night thing and one night we were doing it and I really didn't want to do two shows and I had a few drinks I'm sorry and by the time by the time we came to do the second show I got on stage and just for a flat my face like a tree just tim- yeah timber timber well, yeah I know that the Beatles are always you know mention these little pills they would take so they could play two sets a night or whatever. Was the kinks, was that part of your... Well, yeah, you did, but they they never really helped because you end up feeling so crap afterwards that you couldn't work Have for a, few... a week anyway. So, so it was kind of... They were crazy in... Crazy days, but they were... You know, they taught me a lot about life, just being on the road and meeting different people and and... You learn music as you do it. It's like it kind of. I wasn't a trained musician. None of us were, but we used to pick up things and include it. And you, you know, you learn as you go. Did you guys do those? You know, those package shows with like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were you on builds with yeah. your any of your heroes? Those guys you had been listening to in the front what, room. What's interesting? The first package tour we did. It there was. We were big fans of the Hollies at the time, and they fr- from Manchester, which is whoop, <laughs> which is up the road up there somewhere. Um, and uh, I was big fans of the music. They because they seemed a lot more what's the word pristine, more accomplished, kind of cleaner sounding. We were quite scruffy, but I liked that as well. I liked that about the Kinks. um, Yeah, they're a little more of a pop group, and you're more of a rock and roll. Yeah, we we were, you know, scruffy kids (coughs) playing bad covers of blues music, really. And um, that's how you learn, copying, really. And um, I'll be inspired by the other players, bands. And we were on a bill, we opened the show and there was someone called the Mojos and some other act. 
and the Hollies closed the first half of the show and it built up to like Dave Clark Five were big, you know. And they finished the show and nobody nobody else on the uh, tour liked them. <laughs> as people or as a band or both? They were okay. the guys were okay, but Dave Clark was quite a tyrant. Yeah. Quite a bully, you know. Anyway, um Anyway, we opened the show, but halfway through the tour, you really got me game number one. So I had to move us up, up the uh, uh-huh. skirt of things and the running order. So that, that was very, very exciting. Yeah. And the Hollies were very supportive of the, the band. And uh, I remember Graham Nash was, uh, was great. One night when we first started, the first week... You know, they were, they were saying, management saying, uh, bands seemed a bit scruffy, you know. And we, they got this guy in, he used to work with someone called Billy Fury, who was like a, had a great voice. Uh, like a, a regular 50s kind of pop singer. And um, and this guy comes and he said, Dave, uh, jump up on your empty fat. Turn around, <laughs> wriggle, and I said, oh, God, no, you can't do this. We're all trying to do this stuff on the rehearsal. And Graham Nash pops his head around and he says, leave him alone, they're okay as they are. <laughs> and we thought, he, he's right. What the hell do we need all this weird choreography and stuff for it, you know? Fantastic. And I, I always thank uh, Graham for that. That's brilliant. Well, one of the things about the Kinks that's so interesting is that the band evolved so quickly, you know, just in terms of the music. Like you said, you just seem to always be evolving and teaching yourself different styles. Was that a conscious thing or did it just happen organically? It was a very organic thing, really. You know, it's like there were so many country, American country influences. I mean, my sister had uh, Hank Williams records. And I played them like the hair stood up on my back. And the band that steel guitar, I thought, that voice. Where did they get that voice from? And we used to try and mimic and copy the... Hey, today I hear my head in sorrow I picture the future so bright My son called another man Daddy I never know his name or his face My son calls another man daddy and I, I'm playing in the wrong key and I'm not doing it any justice But, you know, it's, it's a bit of fun, right? No, it's, yeah, it's some of my so, favourite stuff That guy oh, was just haunted, you know just uh, he Haunting, yeah. yeah It was like that band start up with pedal steel and a fiddle and you start singing and you're hooked. It's like a drug, <laughs> man. So cool. And the songs, they were funny and they were sensitive and they were sad and they were, you know. Uh, you, you mentioned your folks uh, a little bit earlier and I'm just interested. People who had eight kids and seemed to 
welcome this front room jamboree all the time. Well, it was a way of enjoying ourselves. We never had any money or It seems like they were special people in my life. Well, in my life, certainly. What were they like? Well, um, I always thought that my mum was my first guru, really. You like trying to shape, you know, under very difficult circumstances. If you think of it, these my mum and dad and uh, her siblings and extended family, they grew up through two world wars, and they had the Blitz, you know, and um, they were horrific times, and they just had to get on with life on a day-to-day basis. So. Uh, they were survivors, and they, you know, you know, if he ever got upset about something you know, around me, Mum, she'd say, "I'll oh, stop it, get up, do it, do something else." Or, you know, we're never allowed to really wallow in your upset or misery, or you know, everybody gets upset. But their perspective had been changed by you know, they had to get on yeah. with it. Yeah, that's that's great, and I think that really helped um, me and Ray as we were growing up and doing music. Because the music business is a scary place to be in, you know, especially when you're young. And in those days, there wasn't really music industry. It was kind of like people just sort of making it up over the book. There was no mold yet, yes. No. So you mentioned the choreographer. Was there other terrible advice that you took, or did you mostly make good decisions, you guys? Well, I think after that guy got the sack, and we were allowed to just be ourselves. I think we pretty much understood the game a little bit more. It takes a while to get used to, you know, the lights and, you know, showmanship yeah. and things. You know, a little showmanship isn't bad, you know. It no, it's good. Yeah, you yeah. realize there's a chance to show off a bit and you know, wiggle your ass. What about the shirts, the, the frilly oh, shirts? Oh, that was Robert. Good. Robert and Granville, our managers, were kind of like rebels in their own way, but they were like kind of upper-class rebels. They wanted to rebel against their parents, although they were privileged kids growing up and going to university and public school and all that sort of thing. But they were rebels, and and they suggested that we... um. Side riding horses. It helps your posture, evidently. And uh, I thought it was funny, like being you know, cowboys and <laughs> Indians. But that wasn't there. Their intent it was to proper. try and cultivate yeah. proper. And then, then Robert suggested these sh- shirts, the Freddy shirts, or whatever. And uh, I loved loved it because I was really into fashion anyway. So and once I got hooked on fashion, it was as important as the music in a way. Oh. You know, as going, important as the music? Uh, well, it, they kind of went hand in hand, you know. Get up on stage, show off how am I going to display myself, and how am I going to look, and so clothes and attitude, and it all goes part and parcel. Yeah. A lot of acts from your from that era either got ripped off because they just got stolen from, or they got ripped off by signing a deal that was good for like one cent a record or whatever. Oh, don't you remind me. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see your bank statement, but I mean, did you guys... What bank statement? That answers that question. I mean, it's just, it was a horrible deal? 
we did sign some uncomfortable deals. You know, um, you know everybody thought, you know, that they, everybody wanted to make money, you know, agents, um, publishers, you know. Uh, when you got your, your first real money, what did, I mean, you were still 14 or 15 or whatever. What did you do? What did you yeah, do? but the thing is, our um, manager, Grandfather, I think it was, he was, he was kind of wanted us to get organised, yeah, a proper accountant, and you get money coming, but you're only going to get twenty pounds a week for. He gave you a salary. Yeah, and that's all you ever got. At the beginning, yeah, until I realised, uh, hang on, <laughs> we earned two hundred pounds last night. I want more than twenty quid. Yeah, but anyway, it all kind of worked out and. <laughs> Things change and you move on. And I mentioned all those gigs you've got coming up. Do you still enjoy touring? I mean, it's changed so much, right? Well, the fact is, I, I'm working with a couple of great guys. They're really good. If you're working with good people, your endurance level goes up. David and Dennis, right? D- David Nolte, he's a great friend of mine, known years. For his bass and keyboards, and, and both super nice guys. That's so oh, important if you're oh, gonna. Be, the thing you know. is, it's more, I know it sounds funny, but sometimes it's more more important than their ability to play. Yeah. I mean, really, it's like you're gonna be in the motel, in a van, on an airplane, yeah. on a stage within and five Dennis feet is of these great. guys. And they're intuitive people as well. Like, yeah, I have, I'm very, I get very short sometimes if things aren't working, and, and they just kind of. I know what you mean. We do this, you know, and do that. Yeah, it's important. And uh, that intuition thing is it's crucial, I think. Uh, even, you know, especially when, you, when you're older and you got to get through the shows and, you know, a smile and good feelings, important. It's, you know, music's all about feeling. Well, it's really. interesting that you choose the word intuition because that's something you don't think about, but you're right, it's... Well, yeah, it's the only thing that works in the end. I think it's everybody's different. Got their own make, everybody's got their own makeup about you know, how they get by and how they function. But uh, What's the loudest, the most amps that you ever used on stage? What's the, were you, because were the, the kinks, I mean, I remember well, if seeing... if you think about it, uh, if you think about it, um, you really got me all down all the night with the loudest records that were out the time. It wasn't you know, even on the radio radio when you slap compression on it, still it's got that feeling of loudness. So they were really loud records. But live, I mean, were you guys with yeah, stacks of amps? Yeah, we started to get into the Marshall and I, up Marshall and I found them. How's your hearing? What? How's your? <laughs> you got me. Uh, you really got me. These you really, really. Do you, how many guitars do you have? Two. I, Two? I got, no, in the world, how many do you have? No, I've got only about three or four. Really? Yeah, I went through that period in the seventies and eighties of having loads of guitars, and I felt really bad because you don't need that many guitars. You can look at pictures of and uh, I, and I, uh, I. You know, trimmed it down. You know, you can't tour with all the guitars. Sure, just baggage. So minimal 
good stuff is what you need. So you've come through this whole thing, uh, but it seems like also you had a stroke a few years, oh, ten, ten years, and you don't seem me. you seem in great shape. Am I right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's hard work get through it. It's. Um, and I don't, did I you, don't want to bore people with like, uh, rehab and that, but. No, it's important to know that you need to be determined to. Yeah, the thing is, excuse me, that determination to keep going is like crucial. It's yeah. like. So, your attitude that you have today, is it just what you were as a boy grown up, or did you kind of have revelations that made you what you are? Well, I think. During that stroke thing, I think the biggest revelation was realizing that we think we know things, we think we we're smart and we can overcome everything, but there comes times in your life when you're helpless, you're lying on the, on the bed <laughs> and you can't do anything. So who's in charge then? You got to have a bit of faith in, you know, the universe. Maybe the it's okay. There's something, something out there helping you, but you can't do anything. And it takes it has a the ego takes a big kick in the ass, you know. When um, I'm not doing it, I can't do it. And you, know, you have to modify. You, I always found that feelings always help me. If I felt alright, I could function alright. So feeling and obviously being in music is a great place to be because it's all feeling. All good music is about feeling and love and attitude and, you know, so that was a very big learning curve. Mm. And also to not take yourself so seriously. You know, so I sometimes see musicians and you go, oh. Oh man, <laughs> oh, got to get this together. And I thought, why? You know, even when you mess up, someone likes it. <laughs> you know, it'd be surprising how audience react to naturalness. Yeah, of course, yes. That... You know, it's a big part of performing. Is is letting it go. You know, oh, it's always. If you mess one song up, there's always another one. <laughs> Uh, there's the internet every five minutes. The kinks are getting back together. The kinks are not getting back together. What's well, happening? me and Ryan have been talking about trying to get some recordings done. We've, we've got a few new ideas and uh, we have some archive, archival tapes. And um, So it might happen, it might not? Yeah, I hope, I hope it does. Uh, new album is called Decade and it's a collection of unreleased stuff recorded during the 1970s. You want to play just a, I don't know, Half a song, or I'll play a song, play a song for us. It's one of my favorite kink songs. It's one of my songs, and it's a song that um, was on an album, a kinks album called Loda versus Power Man and the Money Go Round. I can't think what year it was 73, maybe it's called Strangers. Where are you going to, I don't mind I've killed my world, I've killed my time 
So where do I go? What do I see? I see many people coming after me. So where you going to? I don't mind. If I live too long, I'm afraid I'll die. I'm afraid I'll die. So I'll follow you wherever you go. If you're offered hand, still open to me. Strangers on this road, we are all. We are not two, we are one. Strangers on this road, we are all. We are not two, we are one. So you've been where I just come From the land that brings losers on So we will share the road we walk And mind our mouths and beware our talk To peace we find, tell you what I'll do all the things I own, I will share with you. And if I feel tomorrow like I feel today, we'll take what we want and give the rest away. Strangers on this road, we are. We are not two, we are one. Strangers on this road, we are on. We are not two, we are one. Holy man and holy priest, this love of life makes me weak at my knees. And when we get there, Make your plea Cause soon I feel it gonna carry us away In a promised lie you made us believe For many a man there was so much grief But my mind is proud and it aches with rage and if I live too long, I'm afraid I'll die. Strangers on this road, we are. We are not two, we are one. Oh, strangers on this road, we are. We are not two, we are one.
Hey, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dave Davies, tonight at uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, at the Count Basie Center for the Arts. The new album is called Decade. And check davedavies.com for... Uh, other dates in New York and Ohio and Indiana and Chicago and Evanston and all over the, the place. And maybe the, for more information on the kinks, you never know. I hope you'll come back because I think we've just touched the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah, it's fun here. I like going there. It's a good atmosphere. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks to Ray and uh, the staff of Magic Door for making this always so easy. This is wonderful. Uh, Dave, awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, man.